You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Clap, 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 clap your hands and stomp your feet. You're listening. You're listening to the Clap Your Hands Podcast. Hosted by Elliot Shore Parks and Kyle Newbeck. Here they come. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Clap Your Hands podcast brought to you by Odyssey Sports. Make sure you download that app. You get all the episodes first. Leave us a five-star review while you're at it. Brought to you by Sports Radio 94 WIP. And Kyle, today's pod's brought to you. I just want to say a thank you to all those Denver Nuggets fans that found my Instagram, that are in my comments of my photos, telling me that their ring isn't meaningless and that Jokic is better at Embiid. So you found me, Denver Nuggets fans. You are real fans. I respect it. It's been an interesting few days. Uh, been an interesting few days for your boy. Dude, I've gotten a lot of weird Nuggets comments. Not even like on posts about the Nuggets. Just like right, like writing about the Sixers and like, LMAO, y'all didn't do this or Embiid. It's like, I don't, <laughs> bro, the check's clear for me regardless of whether the Sixers win or not. That's what I always try yeah. to tell people. But it's, you know. I'm glad they're enjoying themselves, but I wish they'd enjoy themselves somewhere else is what I would say. Well, they could enjoy themselves as much as Jokic is because it seems like every day a new quote comes out about how little he cares about the fact that they won the title. Between losing his MVP thing in a closet, between saying you can't wait to go back home. So seems like the most exciting thing for Denver has been finding me and you and uh, trying to trying to clap <laughs> back at us. So I guess that makes a title run a little more impressive. But um, outside of Denver... There has been since the last time we talked. Uh, last time we did the pod, we did talk a little bit about Bradley Beal. Since then, things have really heated up, or at least it seems as if there's more conversation about it. So I want to get into that today. We're going to get into Doc Rivers' interview with Bill Simmons, a lot of kind of topics off of that, Harden, Embiid, the culture around the Sixers. Uh, and then Nick Nurse is, is hiring some assistant coaches, it seems. And then also, um, I made a list of free agents. Maybe we'll get into that too. But Want to start off with Bradley Beal. When we last did the pod, it was off of the report that uh, Bill Simmons saying he thinks the Sixers would be the heavy favorites to trade for him. At the time, you said you were pretty skeptical that would happen. You since wrote, wrote an article for Philly Voice, uh, which I, I guess I can let you explain, but essentially saying you still don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, so you talk to a bunch of people just to make sure you're not getting bad info, obviously. And there were some stronger takes from 
some people I talked to than others. One person went so far as to say definitively that the Sixers are not interested in not trading for Beal. I would say the rest that I talked to are in that direction, but you know, yeah. always offering some wiggle room and saying, well, you never know, depends on cost, all that kind of thing. And that's, look, that's kind of the business that uh, the rumor mill is, right? Mm-hmm. Where you never really know for sure. And there are times when people will outright lie just to create leverage or for whatever competitive advantage they think they're gaining from talking to people like me and giving like the 75% version <laughs> of the truth. Yeah. Um, so I do not think they are interested and I don't think they're going to trade for him. And it's primarily because his contract is just insane. And we can look at it a few different ways, right? He's going to average over $50 million a year over the next, assuming he picks up his player option over the next four years. That's a lot of money to give to a guy who, after he had his back-to-back 30-point seasons, has been on a downturn the last couple of years, individually and from a team perspective. Hasn't been able to stay healthy. I mentioned the other day he's only played 90 games in, in two seasons. That's obviously a big problem on a team that Joel Embiid's your best player and you're already dealing with that. Yeah. And everything that is coming in with this new CBA where – you have to worry so much about the apron and what's worse is the second apron where you're losing all these mechanisms to bring in players or retain players. And if you give, if you're paying Bradley Beal 50 plus million dollars a year, that is a gigantic chunk of the cap. You add on Joel Embiid, we're assuming an extension for Tyrese Maxey. You're basically paying minimum guys after that yeah. once all those guys are are locked in on those deals. And it just becomes really hard if it doesn't work or you bring Beal in and you have a certain need that you see. You can't just go out there and say, oh, well, this is what this is the type of player we get. We'll sign him with, you know, the mid-level exception or whatever it is, or we'll trade two or three role players to get another like legit guy for the rotation, your options just shrink and shrink and shrink. And then the real cherry on top is the no trade clause he has, which is one of only, I believe 10 that have ever been in an NBA contract, which is insane that Bradley Beal is one of the only. I know. And it's also insane. There's not more of them. I feel like in a league where stars control so much, that would be something a lot more would get. So I think that part is being talked about right now for, well, what does it mean for the Wizards and their trade return? The second he's on your team, that becomes your problem. And yeah. so if things if things go south. Now, he's a guy that's stayed loyal to Washington through a lot of ups and downs, and that's all well and good. Clearly, he's not someone who runs at the first sign of trouble. But if you have to trade him because he wants out or – let's say Joel down the road says I'm done here, trade me. And you don't want to rebuild around, you know, Beal and Maxi and whoever else they have left. Or maybe it's Maxi, but you want to trade Beal as well. Your options to trade him then become more limited based on what does Bradley Beal want? How are you able to trade a $50 million contract with these new CBA rules that 
they limit your ability to aggregate salaries. So that becomes another concern. And so it's just one financial issue after another where it used to be more along the lines of if your owner of a team is willing to pay whatever it takes to put together a team, you're, you don't have unlimited options, but you have a lot of them. You can just kind of say, yeah, I'm going to write a blank check and that's going to be mostly enough as long as you can get the guys to want to play there. Now it becomes, do you want to pay, whether it's a star, whether it's a role player, a certain amount of money, knowing that once you hit a certain point, paying these guys that money actually hurts your team and hurts mm-hmm. your ability to retool and rebuild and, and, and make new additions of a potential contender, essentially. So I, I just think all that in consideration they're not going to trade for him. So, okay, you talked about some of the financial ramifications, and it sounds like that's a large portion of why they would not be interested. So we'll talk about Bradley Beal in a second. But a question I have for you is, and we texted about this a, a little bit, like one of the mechanisms the Sixers have when they're this capped out is the mid-level exception, whether it's the full mid-level, the taxpayer, whatever, right? If they sign Bradley Beal, and granted the CBA – I guess the new CBA could impact this. Like, will they just, do they just lose that? Uh, if they trade for Bradley Beal, I should say, if they acquire his contract, is there a world where they acquire him and they can still have those, those mechanisms? Or is your understanding basically you get Beal, you Matt, you give Maxi his extension next year. Like, and those things are pretty much gone. So I would have to go and do the math. I'm pretty sure they will be in the realm of, you don't have a mid-level period, not even okay. the taxpayer one. Because once you add that 50 to Joel's number, now the only thing you could say that maybe they could do some uh, maneuvering is that perhaps they'll delay Maxi's extension. They just say to him, we're going to do this, you know, next summer or whenever it mm-hmm. is. Not that that would impact the cap, but just as a matter of it's, we push that down the road. And if Tobias is outgoing in that deal for Beal, which is it's basically the only way you're getting it yeah, done. Yeah, can get him. Yeah, I'd have to go and do the math. I don't think they're going to have access to basically anything <laughs> if they trade <laughs> for Bradley Beal, yeah. which is the thing. The only argument, if you're a pro Beal and pro Beal trade person, the only argument I think you can make to make a deal is that one, he's going to be cheaper in terms of asset costs than you'd expect. And two, the Sixers are so depleted in what they can trade because of what they've had to move to get to the point they're at now that it's almost like last chance saloon. If Harden leaves and you don't have a way to replace him, unless you are absolutely convinced that you're going to sign a real deal star in free agency next summer and you'd have to do some manipulation Mm -hmm. to get there, there's – not a lot of like, okay, we're going to go get a star type options out there. They're all going to be bad. And you could say, well, we'll just bet on change of scenery, playing him with a obviously the best player you would have ever played with and Joel Embiid. And we'll see if the fit is just good enough to to figure this out. But I still think their stance is probably the right stance here. I just, I don't think he's good enough to justify paying him. 57 56 million dollars in 2027 or whatever it's going right. to be. 
So interesting spinoff of that that I haven't considered. Toby might be their last really big trade asset. I mean, it's unless Joel asks out, but like you're not presumably not going to trade Maxi. Harden, even if he's come back, is not really a trade asset. I guess you could argue his expiring would be at that point. So maybe then you get another one, but you have no draft picks. You have no young players people are excited about. Maybe Springer really develops, but then you want to keep him. So you're not moving him. Tobias is your last chance. So to that point, even though Beal might not be the perfect guy, like to- Toby's gone in a year. So this is your last chance to move him, whether it's now or it's, or it's at the trade deadline. So that is one argument. One thing, though, that I think has happened uh, with Bradley Beal. So initially, this I'll take you through my Bradley Beal kind of roller coaster of how of what I was thinking about the trade. I think first you hear the name Bradley Beal and you go, well, yeah, of course they should do it. It's Bradley Beal. Like this guy averaged 30 plus points. He was, you know, borderline top 15, top 20-ish player for maybe a little bit of a stretch there. Yeah, go get Bradley Beal. And then you look at his numbers and it's, wow, he has really fallen off. His shooting over the last few years hasn't been as great. You take into account his age, 30 years old, not a massive deal or will be 30, but certainly not, you know, 26, 27. And also his shooting has gone down. But then I think what has happened, and I think this has happened on Sixers Twitter and definitely on WIP, I think Beal might now be a little underrated. Like, he is still an extremely good player. He might not be that top 15 anymore. He might not be top 20, but he can score. I think his shooting has shown throughout his career he is a good shooter. It's decreased a little bit, for sure, but I think he has he can shoot. I think he would get better shots in Philadelphia. I think he has at least the, the experience of having to be the main guy on offense. He wouldn't be that here with Joel, presumably. I mean, I don't think Nick nurse is going to hand the offense over to him, but at least he's somebody that if you think about when the Sixers really failed in the playoffs, it was the end of game six. And it was, you know, kind of pretty much all of game seven when their main guys just disappeared and they had no one else that could step up. I went and I looked, and Bradley Beal has not played in a ton of playoffs. He's been, I think, five years out of, uh, what's he, like 10 or eight years into his career, something like that. But if you look, four of the five years he's been in the playoffs, his points per game has increased. Like, I do think they're the benefit of adding him is having somebody that when push comes to shove and when if Joel's not getting it done or if Harden leaves and maybe Maxie's not getting it done, you do have that option to fall back on with Beal. So, while I do understand the contract for sure, and I do get that his numbers have decreased, maybe he's not the guy he used to be. This is your last chance to get a guy. He's really close with Joel from what we know. And you do have the MVP of the league right now. And Bradley Beal, I think, definitely makes this team better. So I 100% get the you know the, the financial penalties and the contracts, and that's something to consider. But also... I don't know. They're so screwed in a lot of ways anyway. Maybe just getting him for Toby, your last real chance to get a star and saying, we're going to go try to win with Joel again, with Joel, Beal, Maxi, and we'll get into Harden in a second. But at least you just add probably the best player you have the ability to add this offseason. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? 
That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, so I've never been a Beal guy. I'm not to say that he's bad, but he's just, he's a guy who is reputation is centered around his ability to shoot the ball. And he's not that good of a shooter. Like career well, numbers in his career. Yes, he was earlier in his career and right. he hasn't been, he hasn't shot above 40% since 2016, 17, which is a long about from three from three. Right. Every year since then, 37 and a half, pretty good. 35.1 league average, 35.3 league average, 34.9 below average, yep. 30%. Well below average, and then thirty six and a half percent last year above average. And I think the more concerning thing is that the last two seasons his volume has also gone way down, and that to me says two things: one, his shot selection isn't great and never really has been, but two, when he hasn't been next to like a lead guard guy who can take the responsibility off of his plate in terms of creative stuff, he's just not going to be a like pull-up shooting three guy. He'll be a mid-range pull-up shooter, and he'll certainly have a big chunk of your offense. But without John Wall or later Russell Westbrook, he's just kind of in this no-man's land as a two-guard. And if you were bringing him here with the idea that he's playing next to Harden, and that's your big three. Now, there's obviously a ton of risk to, again, the financial stuff, all that. But if you're playing him next to a true, quote-unquote, point guard type guy who will set the table, do a lot of the, the primary offensive creation, then I think you have – there's a real vision there. You could mm-hmm. say, okay, Brad Beal as a, a real two guard, but who can also be a secondary creator – like a guy like Harden goes to the bench and you have Beal and Embiid on the floor at the same time. Great. That sounds awesome. I, I think that there's a, a vision there that I could see because he's a versatile enough offensive player to do that. Essentially, we're talking about a scenario where Beal is only coming here if Harden is leaving and Beal then becomes your number one guy in the backcourt with Maxi ascending. And neither of Beal or Maxi is a oh, yeah, that's the guy in the backcourt on the perimeter when it matters. Just not somebody who can do enough for other people or even create enough for themselves, for that matter, if you just look at Beal's numbers with and without, you know, real point guard play. Mm-hmm. I just I don't see what the case for him as your perimeter-leading star is. Unless you – if you want to win 44 games – great then trade for Bradley Beal I just I think you can win 44 games by just sticking with what you have even if Harden walks you just say we're going to try to let Tyrese grow into a point guard job and have a lot of responsibility that you're going to take some of that away if you bring in Beal and I just I don't think you're getting that much higher of a ceiling by bringing Beal in well so I do think the Sixers with Maxi. Beal and Embiid will win more than 44 games for what it's worth. I think that they would once again probably be in the Well, field. how many games are Beal and Embiid playing? 
That's the thing. It's like you might end up in a in a scenario where Beal plays forty five games, Joel plays, let's say, optimistically plays sixty. So that that gives you what? That's like fifty games you got to cover well, between the two Beal, of them. Has do you think Beal missing time? And I've not followed his career closely, so you might not know the answer to this either. But is he missing time because like the Wizards suck, and so he's like, I'll just sit out because I'm kind of hurt? Or are these like legitimate? you know, lower body injuries that are going to follow him around. Cause when I mean, you, he's, you know, he's had injuries all throughout his career. So, yeah. I know I mean, he, he had, a bunch of time. he had wrist injuries early in his career. So just, if we just go through in his all-star years, he obviously played in a lot of games, but 56 games, 55 games, yep. 57, 40, 50, like a lot of, a lot of years where he's only playing 50 to 55 games. And if you had, a really durable frontline star that's your best player. Okay, maybe you say it's an upside swing and we can manage Beal's health a little bit, but they don't have that luxury. That's one of the downsides of building around Embiid is that you know going in he's probably going to miss some time. And even this year, where I think this was a good year for him relative to a lot of his other years, he's certainly not like a 75-80 game player. Mm -hmm. Then he breaks down in the playoffs. And I don't know that we can count on Bradley Beal to be healthy <laughs> when the playoffs come. So, well, yeah, I, I just – I don't like the the fit on a bunch of levels. So, two two things. One, I do think your point about Maxi and Beal together as playmakers and creators is a good one. Nick Nurse talked about that in his introductory press conference saying Maxi has to improve at that. That's something they're going to work on. I do the wonder, to your point, like if you bring Beal here – does he take some of that pressure off of Maxi and allow him to develop at maybe a more regular rate, as opposed to if you don't bring in Beal, you don't bring back Harden, like then you're just sinking or swimming with Maxi at that point. I really, really don't like the idea of punting on this year. I think you have the MVP. The East is tough to an extent with Milwaukee and Boston, but there's no dominant great team out there. I mean, Denver just won the title, and Denver's a good team, but they're I don't think at least going to be some dynasty. So I do think they're there is an argument of just collect all the talent you can for next year. And especially with Nick nurse, I think if you view the head coach as an asset now, as opposed to whatever you wanted to describe doc as maybe he can get some things to work. So from that regard, I think Beal and Maxi, they help each other. But what I've found interesting about this whole Beal discussion is people just assume that if you get Beal Harden is not back. Do you think that's a fair assumption? Yeah, I, I just, I don't see any way that you can, with the way the new CBA is set up that you can just like pay three real stars or at least like, I don't, I don't know if I call Beal a real star Harden yeah, a real star. He's just, I mean, the guy's made three all-star teams in 10 years and is not healthy is on a terrible contract. Like if you want to say he's a star, not a superstar, then maybe we could agree on that and, and right. get there that way. But I just look, he's a guy with a reputation as a shooter who doesn't shoot that well or shoot that much for that matter. I do think he's a very good secondary creator if you have a, a lead guy. And maybe like you could make the argument, and I find this semi compelling, and say, well, Joel just has to be more of a creator. Like if they're right. ever going to win a title with Joel, he has to take more of that. I'm not saying he has to be Jokic, but he has to be 
more adept at reading the doubles and using them against teams. And that was, we'll get into the Doc Rivers thing at some point, but that was one of his big points is that his real next step as a player is he's got to make the rest of the team better around him. So is the reasoning for no Harden in this in this trio and then Maxi as well is simply because you would have Embiid, Harden, Beal on close. I mean, Max deals for Beal and Embiid probably somewhat close to a Max deal for as many years for Harden. And then you have to pay Maxi where you're like over the second apron. You don't get like those are the financial implications you're talking about, right? That we are yeah. basically done at that point. Yeah. And look. Maybe that's a team that's good enough to win. I just, it, the NBA is specifically trying to disincentivize big three star laden teams. I think it's, it's very mm-hmm. much, you have two guys and you have to make real sacrifices with your role players and what have you. And I could buy in on Beal as a change of scenery and change of role guy. Yeah, I think he qualifies. If he wasn't making 50 plus million dollars a year, because if you look at somebody like Andrew Wiggins, right? Andrew Wiggins was somebody that Louis squeaking his toys back there. I don't know if anybody has seen him. <laughs> I think in the he background. wants to trade for Beal, is what I So was. Andrew Wiggins in Minnesota, as the number one guy, the number one pick that they trade in the, traded for in the Kevin Love trade. Right. That was obviously really problematic for Minnesota because he is not a number one guy. You take him to Golden State, he's a really good role player. He's a guy that makes sense as a fourth option type player. That Some nights he might give you 25 or 30 points and just go off, and he can consistently give you good defense, and you get him to buy into that. And that's all well and good. So there are change of scenery players. It's worth noting that people thought Andrew Wiggins' contract was crazy at the time for what he was. He's going to make $24 million next season. Yeah. So less than half of Bradley Love, Beal's yeah. AAV. Well, so that's the whole problem. It's like if, if Bradley Beal was making Tobias Harris money in that like 30 to $40 million range, I, you could convince me, yeah, just roll the dice. But in that scenario, one, there'd be more suitors, so he'd be – Harder, harder to, to get, get. Yeah. and two, the the Wizards would probably say, "Well, we can try to actually build a team around this guy." I think the whole subtext behind this is that a team in Washington, now granted, new front office, but the ownership there has never wanted to rebuild. They've always been like, mm-hmm. the worst that happens is we retool. We have our whoever our star is. It's been Veal for a while now. But we'll be a, we're okay with being a, a fringe playoff team because we want to sell tickets and do all that. And look, that's the reality of certain NBA teams. But if an owner like that is saying, hey, I'm fine with just blowing this thing up, that should tell you a lot about what they think of Bradley Beal specifically. And how his contract will impact. Correct, and how it impacts the team. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I will say my last like swing at the Beal thing would be we look at what he is now as a player and say he's not worth that 50 million. And it's hard to imagine him becoming someone that's worth that 50 million. But if he comes to Philadelphia, he compliments Joel Embiid. He like, you know, improves as a shooter because he's getting better shots. He's a the, you know, the crunch time scorer they need. He helps Maxi develop and take some playmaking skills, uh, playmaking responsibility off of him. And the Sixers do advance. I mean, there's a world where in a year or two we're looking at Beal and we're not talking about his contract as much because he's an extremely productive player that's helping them win. Like Toby, for as much as we talked about his contract, the main issue was he had like two points in game four or whatever it was. Like he wasn't giving you 
absolutely anything. So I understand the financial ramifications. I understand how it make it tough to build a team. But the Bradley Beal we're looking at now for $50 million, it could be a different version of Bradley Beal, Bradley Beal here where he is worth closer to that $50 million just because he's in a better situation. I do think he's a change of scenery guy and all those things. So that would be my last, like, they have a chance to win now. They have the MVP. I think he's a good fit. I get the cap ramifications, but man, I think he could come here and be really good. And to your thing about, you know, Toby being the last asset and your last chance at a star, if you don't get Bradley Beal, what are you doing? Like, what's the offseason plan then? Just bring Harden back, find some role players, and, and roll it back. I'm higher on this team than most, and I think they'd have a chance to win the title. But I don't know. Is that, like, super inspiring? Is that, like, a really exciting new season that they're going to bring in here? Like, if it's not Beal, what's the what's the move? What's the plan? Well, I think that's the subtext is that there is no super inspiring move here. I think a lot of this will come down to can they get Harden on a deal that it works for them, essentially. I think they will. I I think all the intel that's out there, both from what I've said about the team's Mm -hmm. position, what people have said in Houston and to a lesser extent, Phoenix and places like that that have popped up in the mix for him, I guess. He's not getting a max deal. I, I I, I would be absolutely floored if he got a max deal. And so this is now a situation where you say, what is James Harden worth on well, can I inter- a interject plus real one quick. type deal? Yeah, Just sure. Real quick. So when you say a max deal, are you talking four years full max? Or are we now at the point when we say max deal, we're talking about his per year salary, like the $49 million for two years or whatever? Well, you have to split hairs a little bit here. So he's not getting a four year max. Oh, yeah, that's what I assumed. But I think that part is clear. What's less clear to me, but I still think he's going to get fought on, is, okay, what's the AAV on a two-plus-one deal where it's, mm-hmm. he's in for two years and a, a team option? Or let's say he just has a straight two-year deal. But then they say, if you're only going to do the two-year deal, we'll inflate the cash side of it. Like, that's right. a real thing that they could do. You could just say, like, that's a scenario where I'm okay saying, yeah, screw it, right? Like, who cares? Bradley Beal making $50 million in 2027, that's a problem. James Harden making a lot of money this year and next, that's not a big problem. You're not I limiting agree. your future flexibility in any meaningful way by doing And that. he's a good expiring deal next year. Yeah, so if this is just a matter of he wants a lot of money, then that's a scenario where I could say, hey, you want to just do two years and make a lot of money over those two years, that makes some sense for all parties, I think. Now, that has to make sense to James Harden, and it does seem like he wants the long-term money, the long-term security. And look, I get it. This is going to be more than likely his last big, big contract, but I don't think the money that he wants is out there. Some of that's because of his own decline. Some of that's the new CBA stuff. Some of it's just market forces. There aren't a lot of obvious contenders who have big money to throw around this off season. And mm-hmm. I think this is just a weird period for basically the entire NBA where they're looking around and saying, Boston has a big decision on their hands. For example, they don't Jalen Brown is now super max eligible. Do you want to commit 250 plus million dollars yeah. to Jalen Brown over the next four or five years? That that's a terrifying prospect that they're seeing him, basically unable to dribble in the Eastern Conference Finals against Miami. So every team 
around the league is have should be anyway having these conversations about what really is or what does a max player look like because that's a real consideration now you don't just say well this is you know a max is going to be worth it for a star basically no matter what and we'll figure it out later you might not be able to figure it out later now with all these new rules well and that's what's interesting too you know a lot of my salary cap I don't even want to say expertise, but the way I view the cap is through an NFL lens because I've covered the NFL for 10 years. And in the NFL, you can get out of things very easily. We've seen that time and time again. The Eagles got out of Carson Wentz. Even this new Jalen Hurts deal, they can get out of relatively easy in like two or three years if they want to. So you are right from an, NFL, from an NBA perspective, like five years, $250 million for Jalen Brown. Like you, you are like super committed to that. And it's the same with Beal. But I still think there's that line of balancing of like going all in when you have the chance and not worrying about the future. And that's a tough decision for Daryl Morey, you know, in that regard. But for me with James Harden, the thing that I keep coming back to is so his opt-in option, which I don't think he is going to opt-in. Let's just assume he's not going to opt-in. But it's like $35 million. I wonder how much even above that he's going to get. Like, is he going to definitely get... 44 million or 45 or are we looking at a world where he signs for two years you know 37 million a year 38 million a year and he doesn't even get a substantial raise from what he was on before because with where their cap is at they're like right under that luxury line with hard and holding about 30 i think it is a little over 35 million on their cap so each million he gets over that is somewhat significant if you want to get into, you know, again, the, the mid-level exception, the apron, those things. Like they are right, they are right up on there. Well, now there are two aprons to worry about too. That's yeah, the exactly whole fun exactly. part of this yeah. whole, it's like, I got to remember what the first apron does now. I got to remember right. what the second apron does. Second apron is just brutal. It's well, essentially like going to- I million away from that. At least yeah. my last 24 hours of research, I believe. Yeah, they should be they should be okay for now with that. Now whether they are long term is another story. But yeah, it's it's tricky. I I can't tell one way or another what he's going to get. I would not be shocked. I'll say this if he ends up signing a deal that's essentially worth about what he's worth or was signed for last yeah. off season, uh, or yeah, with the opt in. Um, I just. I don't know, man. I don't see the market developing that he seemed to want. I just think between the postseason resume, the the market forces, and just the teams that actually have cap space, I don't think he has real leverage to walk in a room and be like, if you don't give me a four-year max, I'm walking. I just I don't think that's there. What's so the threat is you're going to go to Houston and play on this BS team that would have to make a hundred other moves to just resemble a, a winning team, or you're going to go to Phoenix and you're going to make no money because they just don't have the mechanisms to right. sign a guy for real money right now. I, I don't really see it. So I still kind of think that he's going to come back and it'll end up, we'll figure out at a later date how his people spin that and how they sell it and say, cause last year it was all about, James is sacrificing for the team yep. and he's doing the right thing for these guys. I don't know how you're going to spin it at this point, other than I wanted to be here to, I guess that'll be the thing. They'll say, I wanted to be here because this gives me the best chance to win. Yeah, I'm willing sure to do whatever it takes, blah, blah, blah. But I think that'll say as much about what he could have gotten elsewhere as it does about his uh, desire to win. 
I'm I'm definitely gonna butcher this, but do you have you ever seen that tweet that uh, you know gets retweeted a bunch and it's like me reaping while I sow? Like this is great, and then you know blah blah blah. Like ah, oh, this is awful. Like I feel as if Harden right now is is paying for all the like off the court things and the reputation he's earned because as a player he was pretty good last year. Like we you know we talked about him as a potential All Star snub. He won them two games in the playoffs. He led the league in assists. He shot a relatively high clip. Like he wasn't bad last year. In fact, he was probably considerably better than he was in the first year, half year with the Sixers. But still that market is not there for him. And I think it is because people around the league probably don't have the highest view of him as like a teammate as, well, I shouldn't say as a teammate, but as just somebody to have in your building, like his work ethic. As a building now, block. Yeah, as a building block. Yeah. Cause it does seem like he is nice to his teammates. So maybe I shouldn't have said it that way, but like you hear about all the stuff about him flying off to Houston all the time when he's in Philly shows up small in game seven. I think as a player, Harden is still really good. I think he's still in the top. I don't know, 25, 30 players in the league, wherever, like in that, in that area. But I do think we're seeing with his market, all these years of like being viewed as a partier and blah, blah, blah. It's, it's hurting him because there should be more of a market for him because, because of the caliber of player he is. But I think at his age, teams are like, eh, I just don't know if I want to give you all this money. Yeah. And it's happened with players that don't have that specific reputation that have like Jimmy Butler was a great example in Philly. He was a malcontent and, and mm -hmm. was billed as, Build as this guy is going to be a trouble troublemaker in the locker room. And, you know, it turns out he took great care of his body and it's gotten even better in Miami than he was at, at previous stops. So it's always a dice roll to some extent as these guys get older. You never know. People thought Chris Paul was shot. He has a, a retool year in Oklahoma City that they rehab this value and then he becomes a really important piece on a Phoenix team that goes to the finals and things like that. So you never really know with these guys. So to your point, all the off-court stuff is not helping him with his reputation. I will say he still is a hard worker, and mm -hmm. that's kind of the problem. It's It'd be easy if he's just a guy who was getting fat and drunk and whatever, and that's all he does. That'd be easy to say, yeah, screw him. He's not a culture guy. He's not going to help. But he, it's the balance, right? It's the yin and yang. Like He parties hard. And he works hard. He works on his craft and he tries to get better. He obviously added a lot more mid-range stuff to his game last year. I think that was a big focus for him coming off of, you know, a season and a half of disappointing results for him. So I don't know. He He's just so hard to read. And my thing is I'd rather not be in that business if if I were running a team. I just can't deal with the highs and lows. That's not what I want from a star yeah. player. And I especially don't want to deal with that when he's the guy who's the sidekick, the co-star to Joel Embiid, who we already have our own set of concerns as it regards to him, as it relates to him. But it certainly seems like their number one option this offseason is to sign him on a team-friendly deal and tweak around the edges and go from there. Well, tweak around the edges might be they trade Tobias, and that's a pretty big <laughs> yeah, tweak. You so maybe I should uh, I should play that up a little more. Well, I do think when I think about running it back with this team, I basically mean Harden, Maxi, and Bead. Like those, Tim, Toby is a piece you can use to hopefully increase the make the roster better with you know another starter, you know, two, a few bench spots. 
But Toby, to me, is not an integral part of the team on how they play and their the outcome for the season. So I think you're right. It's not tweaking around the edges, but it is, you know, they 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 can use him to improve the roster. What one more hardened thing I'll say before we get to the doc thing. Um, so shout out to Brandon Lee Gatwin. He uh aggregated this from from my boy, my boss, Spike Askin of the right Ricky Sanchez pod. Um, and it was basically saying, let me pull it up so I don't I don't misquote here, but I thought it was like a little concerning. Um, and it made me change my uh hardened opinion a little bit. It was essentially Sixers players before game seven who were very familiar with James Harden were able to see that he was about to have a bad game like that and were concerned. Other players on the team knew he was basically out, out of that game. So I have been very pro bring James Harden back. I'm higher on this team than most in Philadelphia. I think bringing Harden back is the right move. I think as currently constructed, if you turn Toby into something, you know, just as good or better and multiple players, they have a legit chance to win the East next year. I believe that. But if what Spike is saying, and I obviously believe Spike, and you can speak to this too as someone that covers a team, I can't speak to the behind the scenes stuff. Like if he is truly somebody that maybe like teammates thought he wasn't trying or like he's away from the team a lot, like I, I would have concerns then at that point about bringing him back. On the court, what I saw watching the games, I'm good bringing him back. The inconsistency sucks for sure, but he also won you games one and four. And there's just not really a better option because of how the cap is. But the behind the scenes stuff, like that is where I would go, okay, you know what? Yeah, don't bring him back. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, I, it's just so hard to... Whenever there's a failure like they had in Game 7, it's so hard to figure out what is coming out because it's genuine and what is coming out because other people are trying to cover their own asses. Like that. Yeah, That's always the thing. And that's... This is going to be the perfect segue into Doc because... Yeah, well, I was going to say we could get into Doc now, yeah. Whenever Doc now loses a job, it's always like the cover your ass uh, revenge <laughs> tour that he goes on on podcasts and TV and what have you. And I'm not even saying that the things he said recently were wrong or off base, but I do think that that's something to consider as we try to assess what Harden's role in this is or if teammates were doubting him or, or looking at him sideways or whatever it is. I just always remember that. This well, time I, of year. So I agree with you. The big conversation we've been having at WIP on the air is like, do the Sixers have a culture problem? And I've continually said no, because like if Melton makes a few more threes and they're in the conference finals, like, I don't know. Like, so to your point, like I cover an Eagles team that last year, maybe the best year in franchise history besides winning. And it's like, what a great culture. Everything's great. Da, da, da. They lose the Super Bowl. Darius Slay is saying, you know, well, the defense and the secondary, like things always leak through when you lose. And the Sixers had a really bad loss. So I do agree with you that that loss kind of makes those things come out. But man, I, it would really suck for me personally if I cape for Harden all offseason and then next year he's doing all this like flying off to Houston, not trying hard. Like that would be be a concern for me. So 
let's get into the Doc Rivers uh, interview. Um, so he's on the Bill Simmons podcast. And for me, he touched on three main issues. Tell me if you think there's other ones. But the culture, like the losing culture when he got there. Uh, Embiid, how he can make his teammates better and his relationship with his teammates. And then Harden, you know, their kind of relationship as a coach player. But him saying that Harden looked to score more as the year went on. Um, which do you want to start on? of those? Well, that, that's where I will say that was factually un- untrue. If you just yeah. look at the splits for the season, Harden post, or I'll just, I'll pull it up right now. It was Harden post break actually shot basically exactly the same and scored less. So yeah. if we're talking about the playoffs, and maybe that's what Doc's getting at here. That in the playoffs, James decided, "Well, I'm gonna we're gonna go out on my sword rather than you know setting up others." I think there was a great argument for him to do so. The whole thing was mm-hmm. Joel's hurt. Somebody's got to be the guy. Or when Joel comes back, Joel's compromised. So yeah, they're going to rely on James more. So I thought that part was unfair. I thought the part that was more interesting with Harden that I think is central to the question of do you want to bring him back? And can he be a guy who's a, a title winning leader as one of your co-stars is all the stuff about him not being a useful off ball player and essentially saying, look, you look at guys like Steph Curry and how hard they work when they don't have the ball. Harden doesn't do that. He's never going to do that on either side of the ball. And there's an element of doc where it's, you know, we're all trying to find the guy who did this in the hot dog suit, and it's Doc Rivers <laughs> in the hot dog suit. And he should take some level of responsibility for that. But this is also who James Harden has been for his whole yeah. career. He's He's been an ISO heavy, or at least from Houston onward. He's been an ISO heavy guy who bleeds the clock, plays slow, plays methodical. I just, that's who you're getting with him. And so that's why a lot of people have questions about him as a title-winning co-star. It's why teams have found a lot of success slowing him down. And frankly, we could apply all this to some extent to Joel Embiid too. Like when Joel gets schemed against the way he was in the Boston series and Al Horford shuts him down as a scorer, I'm just watching my dog throughout this. Dude, honestly, way. it's he so hard like, for me not to concentrate. It's so, on it's so yeah. traumatic. With He's his, like moving uh, around, He's climbing up. Yeah, yeah. It's a, so it's a, if you look at how they essentially took Joel completely out of his rhythm in that series, he's got to find other ways to impact the game offensively. Like I know we always fall back on he's a great defender and he does this and he does that. Mm-hmm. Well, he's also got to be able to keep his offensive value high enough for them to be an elite team, for them to be a contending team. And he didn't read doubles well. Like the Brooklyn series, he certainly was a good enough playmaker to beat that crappy team. But against a real team in the playoffs, he wasn't able to do it. And so he's got to be a more aggressive screener. He's got to be maybe use him more of like an off-ball cutter or a guy who's actually rolling hard to the rim and being a lob target in a way that he just hasn't been up to this point in his career. So I think that criticism from Doc for Harden was fair. And I think it's something we have to think about as we apply that to Joel Embiid and you know his place as the star moving forward. So when I heard Doc talking about this and I was thinking like, yeah, he didn't move enough for Doc, maybe under Nick Nurse, blah, blah, blah. 
I just had this vision of James like having to run around the court and just pulling a hamstring and like that's it. Like so, you know, like I while I do get and maybe, Doc actually mentioned that too. He's like, I wish yeah. I had the younger James that maybe I could have gotten right. more uh right. So more and it's all it was also so funny. I mean, you already brought the numbers up, but when you look at it, it was something like 14 and a half, 15 shot attempts before all-star break, 15 shot attempts after all-star break, 15 shot attempts in the playoffs or whatever, when Joel wasn't on the court, it obviously went up in, in, in the games he wasn't, but, and also for a player that we all sit here, all playoffs and we're like, yo bro, try to score. Like, what are you doing? You're driving into the lane and kicking it out or you're being like super passive to use that as an excuse. Now, shot attempts are not always the best way. Like we don't know behind yeah. the scenes, like whatever, but, but that was a funny um, thing. I mean, the other thing is it is pretty clear that James and doc like bumped head, maybe more than I was aware, bumped heads more than I was aware of while the season was going on. And again, to your point about how winning hides these things, this was a team that, you know, was competing for the number one seed that won their first playoff series that was on the brink of eliminating Boston. So there was not a ton of stretches throughout the year where, where things were really ugly, which is probably why you didn't hear about it. But yeah, I mean, it, you know, to have your second best player or one A or whatever, butting heads with your head coach, like certainly not ideal. And you would hope that when Nick Nurse and James met, they were more on the same page. And that's important for the Sixers to figure out, like, is James going to be happy in the role that they have for him? Because otherwise you're going to have this same thing that he had with Doc, where James isn't super happy with the role. He's talking to reporters about how much he's sacrificing. He's still not really doing what Doc wants. So that is a, an important thing to have to figure out with James as well. Yeah. So look, this whole, the James Harden thing is just going to be back and forth and back and forth up to when he signs the deal. And then right after he signs a deal, it'll be another debate until they take oh, yeah. the floor in October. And then they'll still be the people. And rightfully so, I, I think we could both say right up until the playoffs. And hey, you got to prove it in the playoffs, James. That's the bed that he's made for himself. So I, and then I think after the first anyone, round. Yeah. Anything, anyone who is a skeptic on Harden, I get. Anyone who is a booster of Harden, I also get, maybe to a lesser extent. And uh, I thought Doc's. I, don't, I wouldn't even call it criticism. I thought Doc's analysis or assessment of him was was pretty fair. So the most concerning thing that Doc said, and it was weird. The interview was a weird combination of this guy is like somewhat trying to cover his own ass, but also I do think there was some honesty in there. Like a lot of things he said, we would probably say outside of if, if Doc was saying it. And to me, the thing that was the most worrisome is maybe the word, was the Embiid stuff like not only on the court and I, cause you're right against Boston, he didn't do a good job deciding out of doubles. And you know, we've had it slammed in my face. I should say quite a bit over the past week. Jokic is better getting his teammates involved. Like we get it. Okay. So Embiid needs to be better at that. But I thought the off the court stuff was not ideal to hear about your leader, your best player. Like we can say that, you know, PJ is the leader or whatever. Joel has to be the guy. Like he's your best player. He has to be the guy. And if we talk about the culture thing, you know, is it Doc? Is it James? Like, was it Ben? Was it Jimmy? Jo Joel's the one that's been here through all the iterations of this team. And it's kind of been the exact same problem throughout all iterations of this team. Getting in the second round, coming up somewhat small, and Joel having like stretches where he looks disinterested or doesn't play well. So that was concerning in the way that like he... He almost implied he isn't that close with his teammates or he needs to be better at telling his teammates he loves them, I think is how Doc put it. I just, 
that wasn't great to hear about Joel that there's at this point in his career, we're still talking about like, Hey, like be tighter with your teammates, like be a better leader in that regard. I, I didn't like hearing that from Doc. Well, so I'll say this. I'll, I'll take a middle ground position here, which is everyone's least favorite position on the podcast. Say, yeah. But his teammates and include and Doc Rivers as well have said that he's come out of his shell and been more of an active off-court guy in the last couple of years. So this I do think has a degree of cover your ass mentality yeah, but i would doc. push back and say that when you say it at the podium i don't know like a lot of times and you can you're yeah but he says like says it at, in scrums and in like more private right, settings right. too it's not and he's not the only one guys like okay. shake milton who have played with him for quite a long time now have said things to that effect now to your point and what we're discussing here i do think that joel has to act more Almost like you'd act, you'd want a quarterback to act with their offensive line, but mm-hmm. with the whole team. Where I'm not asking Joel to be a different guy than he is. He's a homebody. He stays at home and hangs out with his son and his fiance, soon to be wife, all that. And I don't. It's better that he's not a partier and not adding to his health problems by you know going out drinking and doing all that stuff but you can go to you go to team dinners and do team activities and be more of a galvanizing force in that way i think especially on the road when that's your your best time to try to bring the group together that's when teams really come together and i do think this group was closer than they've been in years before Mm -hmm. i think some of that is because of joel and his maturation as a leader and we wouldn't be talking about this if they had just won that series. Yeah, right? I, I agree with that. There, 100%. there wasn't, I didn't see something in the Boston series that was like, man, this team is not together or they hate each other mm-hmm. or they don't trust or, or love Joel or whatever. I saw Joel wasn't good enough and I saw James wasn't good enough. Those were the problems because look, the role players came out and delivered in game seven and those guys were bought in. This was not like, hey, we're coming to Boston to lose after we gave up that game six. You could see among a lot of those guys, there was still belief that they could get this done. And that to me is the best reflection of, if you want to call it team culture or team bonding, whatever it is. If they had all come up there and laid down, then you could say, yeah, this this group doesn't have it. Mm -hmm. They don't have what it takes on and off the floor, all that. But that's not what I saw. You could definitely say that about the star players and say, Joel and James didn't do what it took. And if you want to say, hey, maybe Joel should have went to, you know, three more Momofuku dinners in New York <laughs> or, you know, whatever, whatever it would have taken to be more that guy, then, okay, I'm sure that was a contribution to all this. I, I just, I don't think from what I can see and what we see manifest every day behind the scenes, on the floor, whatever, I, I don't think that was the problem. So, I do agree with you that these are things we're talking about. And look, Doc's not doing the interview if they beat the Celtics because he's probably still the head coach. So, so yes, like these are products of the losing. And, you know, again, to the culture thing, the Sixers have won, I don't know, like top five regular season games in the last five years. They win in the playoffs. I know people don't want to hear it, but they win playoff games a lot more than other teams do. They haven't broken through. All that's frustrating. I don't think they have a culture problem. 
My only thing is to, you know, your joke about the dinner, which you're right. Like, is Joel going out five more times going to mean that they win game seven? Probably not. But I don't know, man. Like, I can't I can't get over the, like, Jalen Hurts is such a leader. Everyone loves that about him. And then on the flip side, be like, well, whatever. I, I just, in Joel, when I'm around him, like, at, you know, the games I've covered and just, like, watching him in warm-ups, he just seems like a quiet guy, which is fine. And I guess that's what you would prefer. But then that also seems to be the same guy that looks emotionally disinterested in game seven. Like I'm worried maybe as a leader, he just goes inside of a shell and that, and, and like, that's what the team becomes because of that. But I guess you're right that the role players didn't do it in game seven. So. I yeah. So, know. I mean, I think it's a fair thing to think about for him as the star of the team, right? If yeah. we have to sit here and worry about, Hey, is Joel going to be up for this game or up for this moment in the biggest moments? That's a huge concern. I just, I don't think we're seeing what I would call culture-based problems with player relationships. I think all those guys, they're not very, they're not all as tight-knit as they could be, but he's got good relationships with guys on the team. He's just not, it's not like Maxie and Melton where they're hanging out away from the floor and doing things like Mm -hmm. I just, I don't think that's see, but that's how me, Joel is to me though. Like I would love if Joel was a part of that. I just would like, it doesn't mean he it's going to mean them win more. Like I just, it would, I would love to know that the best player on the team is the one everyone wants to hang out with and that he's hanging out with them too. Like, I think there's, there's an advantage to that. Sure. But I, I don't think it's going to happen. I, just, <laughs> well, I don't think that's who he is. Yeah. Well, long-term we'll see how that plays out. Um, The last thing with the culture is and I thought this was the biggest like deflection blaming like all those things uh where he said that they have a big losing culture problem because of the process and he tried to fix it and they're never going to win until until it's fixed like I don't know man they've won 50 plus games a lot they were in the second round before you got there they did the same thing when you were there I, like I don't know you're around the team a lot do you still feel the remnants of the process around there are so few guys that are even left. It's basically it's just, just Joel. It's Joel, essentially. So I don't know, man. I look, I think there are things that have changed in a positive way over the years where they do have more buy-in for things like low minute games on off days at the practice facility, guys being more committed to the weight room and all that kind of stuff. Some of that's just they have better, more experienced players now. Guys come in from college, I could tell you right now, their habits are bullshit. Like most mm-hmm. of these guys are used to they eat whatever they want. They say, Oh, if I miss this day working out, or I only get two hours of sleep this night, or I do this, like these guys are in such good shape that they think there are no repercussions for that. And come to find out, when you're playing against guys who are taking all of that very seriously, it matters. That's yeah. a big problem. So I, I do think that. There are elements behind the scenes that people don't think about that have improved. I do think, too, I know competitiveness in the regular season was the thing we dinged them on at times. But I would still say their night-to-night culture was much better where, I mean, the comebacks were a big part of that that we talked about. Where it's In years past, they would have just laid down and died like the Hawks. Like, they just would have. We saw so many games where they would go on the road and they're playing – not even a good Cleveland team, a Cleveland team with like Colin Sexton and guys like that. And they go mm-hmm. down 20 and it's like, well, this game's over. Like this, this team's done. Yeah. And now there's, even when they find themselves in those positions, 
I think there were very few games all year where the Sixers went out there and just died and said, nah, we don't have it tonight. They, that has been the biggest change, I think, since Doc came in and since Ben Simmons left, because Ben was fairly consistent in that regard, but certainly had his ups and downs. I just think night to night, they're a better, more committed team. And that's a good example of how the culture has changed, but it's also the team has just gotten better. They just have better yeah, players. They're not players. they're not relying on, you know, the Hollis Thompson anymore. Yeah. So. Well, another takeaway from the Doc thing was, and I I liked Doc more than most. I wouldn't say I was, you know, an extreme Doc defender. I just wasn't on the side of get him out of here. He's why he's why they're losing. I did when I was listening to it make me think maybe Nick Nurse will be a will be like a real competitive advantage for them. And I think about it with Bradley Beal and Maxie and all these guys that maybe we'll just get more out of these players last year than Doc got out of them. Like maybe Doc's specialty was not the X's and O's. It was the motivational things and all that. But I, I, I'm I, excited after listening to Doc to have a new head coach and just to see what that what that's going to look like next year. So, all right. I think we've touched on all the topics we wanted to get to. Um, I'm sure in the last hour, there's been all types of rumors and reports that are going to, to we'll have to talk about in the next one. But any final thoughts before we get out of here? I am good to go, man. I'm going to go good. see. I think Louie probably needs a, an afternoon snack coming up. Yeah, Louie's looking at us like, bro, you've already talked about Bradley Beal for 40 minutes. Let the let, let crowd <laughs> get out of here. So, he actually right. turned and looked right at the camera. He was. Yeah, he's looking at me right now. He's like, Elliot, we don't want to hear any more about Jokic in your takes. Just just let let, let my uh, let my guy Cal go. So we will get out of here, um, and we will be back, uh, I guess, early next week. Or, you know, if anything happens with Harden, for sure, we'll do that fun Harden emergency pod. But, um, Thank you to everybody for listening. Appreciate it as always. As I said at the top, if you haven't, download the Odyssey app. Make sure you leave us a five-star review because uh, I love reading them and I know Kyle does too. And uh, we will talk to you guys next time. See you later, man. See you guys soon.